Last Sunday we uh, prayed for our afflicted worship team and uh, there's been some improvement in some quarters but we're still struggling a little bit so we had to shuffle things around today. John was meant to be speaking here this morning and I was meant to be down at Power 2 for the whole service but because and then Dan was leading worship because Hannah's still not great. Dan wasn't leading worship so John's leading worship. So I'm speaking but that doesn't mean that I'll be nipping off once I finish to go down to Power 2. So I shall be disappearing once I've spoken this morning so sorry I won't be around at the end. To chat with you. Um, I wonder if you would consider yourself a creative person. Ask that question, most people say, would say no. It's almost kind of like an embarrassing question to say yes to. I was at a school thing once, one of my kids, and there was probably a couple of hundred parents there, and the music teacher, very enthusiastic, very gifted music teacher, asked that question, are you a creative person? And kind of two people nervously put their arms up, and she said, you're all creative. Everybody is creative. The correct answer is, yes, I'm a creative person. And there's a sense in which that is true, that we are all creative, but also we know that uh, most of us not really creative, or not as we might imagine, think what a creative person actually is like. Now, reality is we, we, do all, we all create stuff, even kind of mundane, routine things actually involve an act of creativity. If you had breakfast this morning... And I hope you did, because if you didn't, you're not well set up for the day. It's not good for your emotional and mental health, and just is physically undermining as well. So I hope you had your breakfast before you came out this morning. But if you made breakfast, that was a kind of a creative act. First thing I do when I get up is to make a cup of coffee, and it's a very kind of routine thing, but it's also a kind of a creative thing. You're taking these different elements, and you're making something which is different from how any of them were. In my house, we grind coffee beans. So take coffee beans, grind them up, boil water heat some milk. You're taking three different elements and making something which is different from what any of them were before you got involved in the work of creativity. So that's actually a creative thing to do, even though most of us wouldn't think about it. You pour some milk on your cornflakes. It doesn't feel very creative, but actually you're changing something or manipulating something. You're making something different from what it was before. So we are actually all creative, but very few of us are like Michelangelo. None of us are that creative. And the, the, there are those people, of course, who, who are creative and would describe themselves as creative. And, and they can be great. They can also be a pain, to be honest, at times, creative types, because they always seem to want special treatment. And in church life, that can happen. Where's the space for the artists? <laughs> I remember being at a, a conference once where somebody was painting on the stage during the service to help us engage with God in an artistic way, but I was looking at it and thinking, why are you drawing an alien? <laughs> why? And I was just completely distracted from the worship until eventually, at the end of the meeting, it turned out it was meant to be the empty tomb, but the way that she was painting it looked like an alien floating in space, and it didn't help me connect with God, it just distracted me. But the, where's the space for the artists? Keep it to yourself. But creativity is, is good, and it's something that we all do, and it's actually something we all, we all need to do, and everybody, each of us has a need to, to create in some way. It might just be, we don't, might be because you're not a painter or a sculptor or a musician, you think, I'm not creative, but there'll be something which you, pretty much everybody would have some kind of outlet, a guy tinkering in his shed with an old car engine, that's a kind of a creative act. If you like gardening, that's a creative act. It's all kinds of things that we do which actually are creative, and we're, we're meant to be creative. We're, 
We're meant to manipulate stuff and change stuff and make stuff. But everything that we do, whether it is just making a cup of coffee or whether it's Michelangelo carving an unbelievable sculpture, everybody's working with borrowed material. We're creating with stuff that we haven't created. We're creating with stuff which has been given to us. Jen Wilkin, in her book, None Like Him, on which we're basing this current series, says we're all hacks, that we're just taking stuff which already exists and changing it and manipulating it. And the stuff that exists, the stuff that we use to be creative with, exists independently of us. And actually, we're made of the same kind of stuff. We don't create ourselves. We ourselves are made out of created matter, created stuff. Apparently, about 99% of the mass of the human body is made up of just six elements. We're made up of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. That's what a human body is. We're apparently about 53% water. We're just sacks of water walking around. Actually, this morning, we're probably a bit more than 53% water if you got caught in the rain as you came in. But we are created. We're, we're creatures. We're creatures. And we're dependent upon other creatures and other created stuff for our existence. The only reason we exist is because of other creatures and other stuff. Everything that we do is derivative. Everything we do is borrowed. Everything we do is a... We're all plagiarists. There's nothing... We don't do anything original. Anything we manipulate, anything we create actually is borrowed. It's taken from elsewhere. It's just the reality of what it is to be a creature. And then we turn to God and the story of creation and see how things with God are rather different. So let's do that. Grab a Bible if you can find one. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, which is really near to the beginning of the Bible. So find Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to think about God as the self-existent creator. First three words of the first chapter, the first book of the Bible. In the beginning. In the beginning. You know, everything, everything has a beginning. There was a time when we weren't, and there was a time when the earth wasn't, and there was a time when the universe wasn't. If you rewind 30 billion years, there was nothing. Rewind 20 billion years, nothing. Rewind 15 billion years, nothing. And then suddenly, 13.8 billion years ago, bang, the beginning. And the question is, well, how did that happen and why did that happen? How did nothing go to the vastness of the universe? How did that happen? Now, scientists reckon that with all their complex measurements, that the Big Bang happened 13.8 billion years ago. And that means that we can look 13.8 billion light years in every direction from where we are. We can look at the universe 13.8 billion light years that way and that way and that way and that way. And that means that the observable universe, the universe which we can kind of see to some extent and measure, is about 28 billion light years across, which is unimaginably vast. But that probably isn't the extent of the real universe. A team of scientists at Oxford University, they found that the universe, 
through all their calculations and whatever, is at least 250 times larger than the observable universe. 250 times bigger than the 28 billion light years that we can in some way observe. So that makes the universe 7 trillion light years across. And then if you go to the NASA website, NASA say that evidence suggests that the universe is actually infinite in extent. It can never get to the end of it. It can never be measured. It can never be bounded. It's even bigger than 7 trillion light years across. So there's this question, how did something, how did nothing, which isn't something, it's nothing, how did nothing suddenly become an infinite universe that exploded into being? How? How? Why? It's almost unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I mean, we take it for granted because we're here, so we just know it happens. We're here. We're sitting, we're, we know that we're alive. We're flesh and blood. We're sitting in a building made of solid things. We go about our lives. Of course, the universe exists with, with the evidence, but it's, it's, think about it for a moment. It's, it's unbelievable. How did it happen from nothing to us and an infinite universe? How? It says here, in the beginning, God created. God created. So simple, but so profound. If you uh, dismiss this Genesis account, you're, you are left with a really significant problem. You are left with the, the problem of the virgin birth of the cosmos. How does nothing become everything? How does that happen? Now, this, this morning isn't particularly a message about science and faith, but just think about it. How, how could it happen if there really was nothing, if there really was no one? How does nothing and no one suddenly become an infinite universe and stars and planets and solar systems and galaxies and oxygen and carbon and phosphorus and human bodies and coffee and cornflakes and raindrops and car engines? How does that happen? In the beginning, God created. So we're going to take it as read that this is true, that in the beginning, God created. The heavens and the earth had a beginning. Why? Because God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this means that God is very different from us. What, Bible, what the Bible here describes in these short words is the original work of creation, that God created all the stuff that all the stuff is created from, the oxygen and the carbon and the hydrogen and the nitrogen and the calcium and the phosphorus. He created all the stuff that we create with. And that means that God is in a category of one, that he alone is self-existent. Everything else exists because something else exists. God alone exists in himself. He is self-existent. Everything else exists because he created. That's what it says here in Genesis. It's the consistent teaching of, this, of the Bible, of scriptures. I think when God made himself known to Moses, that encounter between the divine God and the very human Moses, and God names himself to Moses. And his, the name he reveals himself to know, Moses by is, I am who I am. It's a kind of a profound and mysterious, although simple phrase, I am who I am. And when God said, I am who I am, he was saying something which nothing, no one else could say about themselves. 
Because everybody else, everyone else, Moses and you and me, everyone who's ever existed, actually, we, we can't, I can't say I am who I am. What I have to say is, I am what nature and nurture have made me. I am the consequence of my parents' DNA, as they were the consequence of their parents' DNA. And I am the consequence of the world in which I've lived and grown up and the culture in which I've lived and the, those waters in which I swim. That's, that's who I am. That's why I'm the person I am. It's because I am created out of created stuff. But God alone says, I am who I am. He's unique. He's self-existent. He's in the category of one. In the Gospel of John, John 1, the way the Gospel of John starts, kind of a, a mirror image of Genesis 1, is like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Everything has been made, and none of it would have been made if Jesus the Word hadn't made it. It's why it exists. It's why we exist. A little further on in John, John 5.26, Jesus is speaking and he says, The Father has life in himself. The Father has life in himself. That's only true of God. You don't have life in yourself. I don't have life in myself. We have life because it's been given to us and one day it will be taken from us. There was a day that we were born and there's going to be a day that we die. We don't have life in ourselves. The Father has life in himself. Colossians 1.16 in him all things, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. It's all been made by God. The heavens and the earth, the visible and the invisible, you and me and the chairs we're sitting on, the carpets on the floor and the roof of our heads and the raindrops that the roof's protecting us from and the molecules and atoms and quarks that the, everything's made of, he made it all visible and invisible. And then this verse, Revelation 4, verse 11, picture of the heavenly beings gathered around the throne of God and saying, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Now that verse is so important because it makes explicit this distinction between God and everything else, that God is self-existent. Everything else is created. God wills the creation into existence. Actually, it's in God's nature to create. God is the creative God. God willed it. He decided it. He called it into being. He alone is self-existent. Everything else exists because he exists, because he created. Verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In this verse, this is where we see a parallel and a divergence between creation accounts. That actually uh, atheistic science would agree that the earth was formless and empty, but what happens next is where we disagree. Atheistic science would say the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And in the primordial soup, elements started somehow to come together. It's not what the Bible tells us. It's not quite how it was. The Bible encounters this. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
Now, that is a crucial distinction. Believe it just no, everything came from nothing or that somehow God was present. He was creative. The Spirit of God hovering over the chaos of the initially created world. That's a crucial distinction. It's a distinction which defines between, distinguishes between seeing the universe as essentially just blind and indifferent and purposeless or something else. And how we answer to that question, what happened at the beginning, affects how we see everything else. If we dig down into our assumptions and, our and into our values, why do we do the things that we do? And why do we value the things that we value? Why does it all matter? How you understand what happened at the beginning has a massively profound influence on how you answer those kind of questions. If somehow there was just a virgin birth of the cosmos, cosmos if somehow just somehow it all just burst into life, then what is the point and what is the purpose and what is the value of anything? What does it matter? What does it matter if albatross chicks are choking on bits of plastic that have been discarded in the world's oceans? What does it matter whether you're happy or unhappy? What does it matter if you're healthy or sick? What does it matter if you've got friends or haven't got friends? What does it matter if you succeed in life or fail? What does it matter? What does it matter if things look beautiful or ugly? What does it matter? And we can say, well, it, it matters because it matters to us, because as humans we can somehow measure and distinguish these things, and we care about these things, but why does that matter? Why is that important? Of what value is that? Who cares in the end? What does it matter if the earth does incinerate and burn up and fall apart and life is extinguished? What, it doesn't, if, the earth, if the universe is essentially cold and indifferent, it doesn't matter. It's just another dead planet amongst all the other billions of dead planets. Why does that matter? But if you believe that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters at the beginning, about to bring order out of chaos, then all that stuff matters a lot. Because it isn't just blind and indifferent there's a creator God who's involved, a creator God to whom we're answerable, a creator God in whose image we're made, a creator God who fills us and life and the world with meaning and with purpose. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. So here's the thing, God said. Now that's not how human creativity works. Actually, we fantasize about that kind of thing quite a lot, that we can just speak and stuff happens. Think of all the movies in which that's a key theme. Think of Harry Potter, that's a key theme. You say a spell and stuff happens, but that's not how stuff happens. The reality, it takes graft. You want to create something, you want to make something, it takes graft. If you want to be a decent painter, it takes graft to learn how to do it. If you want to be a decent musician, it takes graft to learn how to be creative as a musician. If you want to be a decent baker, it takes graft to learn how to combine flour and salt and water in a way which actually gives something which is edible. It takes graft to be creative. But God speaks... And suddenly, out of nowhere, out of nothing, there's electromagnetic radiation and a spectrum of colors and a wave and a particle. There's light. Suddenly, this stuff exists. Now, we can turn on the lights, or we can even tell other people to. In my house, I can say to one of my kids, would you turn on the lights? Actually, more often with teenagers, can you turn off, turn off the flipping lights? Why are they on again? But we can say, turn on the lights. 
But what we're doing is flicking a switch. We have to do something which involves physical... We have to physically do something. God speaks. He creates it. And you know, when we say turn on the lights, we know what light is. We've got an idea. We're, we're creating lights, but actually it's borrowed. And uh, it's not like God copied the idea of light from anywhere else. They just said, oh, we're going to make this thing called light. And there was. And you know what? God did that in the dark. If you're going to create light, you need to turn the light on first to see what you're doing. Jesus didn't. He just said, let there be light, and there was. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning. The first day. It's like God kind of scoops up the light and he scoops up the darkness. And he holds them apart and he names them. This is going to be light and this is going to be darkness. Now that's a work of creativity. We name stuff. We make stuff. And we create stuff and we give it names. And uh, part of being human actually is naming stuff. It's almost like we, we're not happy unless we know the name of something. You see a bird in the garden which catches your attention and you, you want to know what is it called. What it's called actually what, it doesn't make any difference. If it's a pretty bird, it's a pretty bird. But there's something that we want. What is it called? Until I know what it's called. Is it a willow tit or a long-tailed tit? Until I know, I won't be happy. <laughs> we had, uh, I quite like birds. and We had some birds in our garden a few weeks back. And Grace, I wasn't there. Grace spent ages looking through the bird book trying to work, work out what they were. And she couldn't work it out. And then she described them to me. I said, oh, they're red wings. <laughs> She's very cross that I knew without even seeing them. <laughs> important, very important, they're red wings. Now, we, we name stuff that's been made. We name r- red wings. We didn't make the red wings. God makes it. God names it. And God said... Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening. And there was morning. The second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land. And the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. You get a sense of God's pleasure in creation as you read this story, that God sees it and it, it's good. It's good. It's good. And this is where our sense of goodness in creativity comes from. And of course, this is subjective. So one person's art is another person's irritation. But the goodness of Creativity actually comes from the goodness that God sees in the creation that he has made. And when we look at, like God, when we look at the sky and the land and the sea and say, wow, that's good, actually we're just reflecting the heart of God. When he looks at it and says, this is good, God's work of creation was good and what was created was good. And we need to remind ourselves of that because so often we're so negative about the world and think about all the things that are going wrong and all the problems, but actually we can look at the world around and we need to remind ourselves, we need to quote God's words back to ourselves, this is good. Look at the sky, look at the land, look at the sea. Wow, this is good. 
God delighted in his creativity. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. Of course it was, because God said it. The land produced vegetation and plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And you know what? God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. This is where we see God creating things which themselves have the potential to be creative. He creates plants, but he creates plants which have seeds, which means that the plants can get seedy, they can get creative, they can make other plants. God puts creativity into the creation that he has created. Creativity is written into creation, and that's good. God looks at it. He looks at plants he's made, which themselves now can be creative, and he says, hey, this is good. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning. The fourth day. In this uh, description of God creating the heavenly bodies, the stars, the sun, the moon, there's a great orderliness, orderliness we see in what God is doing, that God brings order out of chaos. When God first creates the, the universe and the worlds that he makes is, is chaotic, it's formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the deep. and It's a chaotic place and God begins to bring order out of the chaos. That's what God does. That's what God does in our lives when he gets hold of us and puts the stars and the sun and the moon into place. And in his orderliness, he creates the potential for life to continue, for life to exist. We scientists talk about this Goldilocks zone that we live in on planet Earth, that we're just the right distance from the sun. Any closer and it would be too hot and life wouldn't be able to exist. It would get burnt up any further away and it would be too cold and life wouldn't exist. It gets frozen. That's why there's life here, because it's, the Earth is in this magical spot, exactly where life can exist, where it's just right. There might be some bacteria on Mars. Scientists are not quite sure. They keep thinking we've found some, haven't found some. But even if they do, it's a few bacteria. Man, your body, my body, are covered in countless billions of bacteria. It's not a particularly pleasant thought, but it's true. <laughs> and look at the diversity of life. There's, we live in this amazing spot. And, and even thinking about God's this poetic way of describing the sun and the moon, you think, you know, the moon is lovely. Often we don't see it now because we have too many of our lights turned on. But if you see the moon, the moon's lovely. If you go out on a moonlit night, that's a beautiful thing. The moon is beautiful. And there isn't actually any need for the moon. It could exist without the moon. It's like God put it there just because it's beautiful and to govern the night. And so actually it's not completely dark at night time. But the moon shines reflecting the glory of the sun. 
There's a, a beauty and orderliness about what God has made. There's kind of a kind of unnecessary extravagance, an unnecessary generosity about the world has made. And that's why God looks at it and he says, you know, this is good. It really is. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. What God does here is he blesses creativity. He makes the animals and he blesses them and says, be fruitful, increase, multiply, fill the earth. What God is doing there is blessing creativity. Get creative, God says to his creation. I've made it and it's good. Now you get creative too. That's, that's where our desire for creativity comes from. That's why we need to be creative. You might not think you are creative. You might not be Michelangelo, but there's something in each of us which needs to create something. We do. Because God has blessed creativity. That's how we're made. It's how the world is made. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Get creative. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has, been has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Men and women are created, we're made, and we're made to have authority over the creation that God has created. We're called to reflect God, not to rival him, which is what we so often seek to do. We're made to reflect him. And when God had created us like this, he said, not only is it good, this is where it changes slightly but dramatically, God looks and says, this is very good. And we need to remember that about human beings. When God created the man and the woman, he didn't say, oh, mess that up. He said, this is very good. This is very good. It's a dignity about us as human beings. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. 28 billion light years or 7 trillion light years or infinite light years in all its vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on that seventh day, he rested from all his work. 
Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creation that he had done. So that's who God is, the self-existent creator of all things. And this is who we are, created to steward God's creation. And our problem is when we get that the wrong way around, when we develop a creator complex, when we confuse stewardship of what God has made with ownership of what God has made, when we forget that God is actually the creator and the owner of all things, and we think that we are. And it's when we make that mistake that we get into all our problems. That's the reason for our negligence towards other created things. It's the way that we, reason we do so often pollute and despoil and mess up the world because we think we own it and we can do what we like with what we own. But we don't own it. It's God's. And getting that the wrong way around is why we so often are selfish towards other people because we think we own it and if I own it, it's mine. And I don't own it and neither do you and neither does Bill Gates or anyone else. It belongs to God. And so if we're going to live well as human beings created in the image of God, somehow to reflect God and somehow as his regents, his kind of princely underlings to rule over the earth as we're meant to, then we need to acknowledge God for who he is and we need to see ourselves for who we are. Jen Wilkin in her book says, it's not our job to be original, but to worship the origin of all things. You know, it's such a relief. You don't have to be original. You have to acknowledge that everything that you create, everything you work with is borrowed. It's lent to you. And you're encouraged and inspired, meant to, in the image of God, to create stuff, but you're not the owner of it. You're not the creator of it. He is. And if we're to get this right, we need to be reconciled to the one who has created us and all things. We need to understand that our very existence is dependent upon the self-existent God. It's wonderful verse, 2 Corinthians 5, one of the most wonderful chapters of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, if you're in Christ, if you've come to Jesus, if you said, Jesus, I recognize your claim to be Lord, I recognize you as the one who is able to deliver me from sin, from death, I recognize you as the one in whom there is life, the one in whom I'm going to put my trust, my faith. If anyone is in Christ, the new Creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. You know, the creation of heaven and earth, what's described there in Genesis 1, was a miracle. Nothing suddenly becomes everything because God created it. But God's work of new creation in us through Jesus Christ is miraculous too. When we come in faith to Jesus, God does a work of creativity which we couldn't do in us makes us new the old has gone the new is here there's life bursting forth in the people of God because Christ the creator is at work in us and God looks at that and says this is good and the new creation that Christ is working in us speaks hope for all of creation what is the hope for our polluted, sin-sick, beautiful, but ugly world? What is the hope? Well, it is the hope 
of the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. New creation in us speaks hope for all of creation, that as we're made new, so all things will be made new. So all the things that we've got wrong because we thought we were the creator rather than the created ones, because we thought we were the owner rather than the steward, all that will be turned around because of God's work of new creation, which is being worked out now in his people, the church, through what Christ has done. And so we need to look to the self-existent God to give us, and ultimately all things, new life. That's the hope of the gospel, and that's the power of our self-existent God. Let's pray.